This evening's Bible reading is taken from Titus 2, verse 11 to 16. It's on page 998. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. This is the word of God. Sorry. Indeed, our Father, we thank you for your love that you lavished on us. And that as a father, you showed great concern for us. And that, Lord, you adopted us into your family. Pray this evening as we come face to face with your grace that saves and your grace that changes lives, that we may be overwhelmed to live lives that are changed. Would you help us as fathers? Would you help us as mothers? Would you help us? as men and women and as employees, to live the kind of life that would bring you glory. And this we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Just give me a second while I get my water. Now let me ask you a question. Now think about this question. Don't answer out loud. Think about it. Think about this question in the quietness of your own heart. If you could change one thing about you, what would it be? If you have been with us for the last few weeks, you would know that we are doing a series on Titus. And perhaps as God's word has been preached, God's word has challenged you. Especially last week as we looked at, as, as we looked at self-control. Perhaps you were challenged then. And so let me ask the question again, but a little bit paraphrased. Listen to this question again. If you could change a private struggle in your life. Now we all struggle. We all have our different struggles in our lives. What would it be? Where do you need more self-control in your life? Where do you need an extreme makeover? Where do you need a renovation? Where do you need a, a fixer-upper? Where does God need to step in and pimp your life? Now, if you've heard those names, all of those are names of transformation shows. Where does God need to step in and transform your life? See, I think every honest Christian knows their need for change. They know their need for transformation. But how do we get there? How do we move forward from our struggles, both big and small? Perhaps an even bigger question to ask is, do we believe, do you believe that real-life change is even possible? Do you believe that you can move forward in whatever struggle that you are thinking about? Do you believe that God desires and promises to bring you or to give you a real-life change? That progressively God wants to make you more and more like his son, Jesus. See, I think if you were to ask a lot of Christians those questions, their answers would be one of two. One, a very sheepish yes. Like, yeah, I believe that. 
something like that. And what they really mean is, I don't really. I don't believe it. I don't believe that I can move forward from the struggle. The other response that you would often get is this one. Yes, I believe that. I believe that God is able to change us, is able to transform us. But I don't think I I would like to board that bus as yet. As one commentator said, Lord, change me. But not yet. You usually get one of two of those responses. And you see, Paul in our passage tonight, in the passage that was read for us earlier, shows us that a real life change is actually possible. He shows us that because of God's transforming grace, older women and older men, younger men and younger women, and employees all can live lives that are transformed. All of us can live lives that bring God glory. All of us as, if, as individuals and as a community of God's people. We can live truly as a redeemed family of servants on mission. And you see, as we go through our passage tonight, I have three points to help us to see this transforming grace that Paul is talking about. And here are the three points. All of them start with grace. Here's the first one. Grace saves us. Second point, grace trains us. The third point is grace helps us to wait. Three points, all of them beginning with grace. Grace saves us, grace trains us, and grace helps us to wait. See, if we were to live truly transformed lives, then we need to get all that Paul is saying about God's transforming grace here tonight. So let's go to our first point. Grace saves us. And let's read verse 11 together. Go to the passage that was read for us, and let's read verse 11 together. Paul says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. There's a story that's told of the British Christian author C.S. Lewis. That one time there was a, 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 a conference with different religious experts, most of, them, most of them Christians. And the one thing that they were discussing is what makes Christianity distinct? What makes Christianity unique from all other religions? And you see, as these people said, they're debating these things. They eliminated a number of things. Some of them said the incarnation makes Christianity different from all other religions. And others pointed out that actually other religions do have different kinds of gods appearing in human form. And then someone else said, the resurrection. And again, other people said, actually, no, other religions do speak of a resurrection as well. And the debate went on and on for some time. And as C.S. Lewis walks into this room and hears them debating, he then turns to one of them and says, what's this this scuffle about? What is everyone debating about? And he was told that people are talking about what makes Christianity unique from all other religions. And you know what C.S. Lewis said? He said, it's easy. Grace. Grace makes Christianity different from other religions. You see, all other religions say, pull yourself up. Pull yourself up in order to be saved, in order to have a changed life. Whereas Christianity says, here, grab this life rope off the cross. See, other religions say, do this and do that. Whereas Christ says, done already on your behalf. It has already been done 
on your behalf. And you see here the very first thing that Paul wants these believers to see, the very first thing that he wants Titus and these believers in Crete to see, to realize, to remember, is that if they are to live consistently transformed and changed lives, then they have got to remember that God's grace saves. That God's grace saves that God's grace has given them a new identity and that God has actually, has actually saved them and brought them into his family. They are now his chosen people. They are now, as he says a bit later, a, they are now a people of his own possession. They are a forgiven people. See, Paul wants them to see that, that God's grace saves. And this is how we know that. This is how we see that Paul is trying to get them to see that here. This is how we know it. We know that because of that phrase that Paul has there that says, for the grace of God has appeared. See, grace has appeared, Paul says. Now, this is a very important phrase in this whole section. So over and over tonight, we'll be going back over and over to this phrase. Grace has appeared. Now, for you and I, it might not be immediately clear what Paul is saying. It might not be apparent to us what Paul is communicating here when he says, the grace of God has appeared. What you see, you see here, what Paul is talking about is the first coming of Jesus. And Paul equates the, the first coming of Jesus to the gospel. He actually says the first coming of Jesus, or grace appearing, is the gospel, or refers to the gospel, or is a facet of the gospel. Now, you and I, when we see that phrase, perhaps might not get it. And so let me help us along the way. Let me read a passage for you in 2 Timothy chapter 1 from verse 9. This is what Paul says, using the same kind of wording. This is what he says. He says, he, that is God, has saved us and called us to a holy life. And not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. See, Paul points out to us that the appearing of Jesus refers to the gospel. When he says grace has appeared, he's referring to the gospel. He's referring to the grace of God that saves If you go to 1 Corinthians 15, Paul explains the gospel in this way. He says this is the gospel. The gospel is this, that Jesus Christ appeared and he died and he was buried and he rose from death. Jesus Christ appeared. That's a facet of the gospel. That's a part of the gospel. And this is what Paul here wants us to see, that God broke into our world, that God became flesh in order that he would come and redeem you and me. This is what Paul wants us to see. God deciding to tabernacle around us. God incarnating in the person of Jesus in order to save you and me. Grace has appeared. Grace has appeared, Paul says. And the appearance of grace, you see, is about three things. It is about a problem. And it is about a promise. And it is about provision. And here's the problem. My and your sin. It is about that. And here's the promise, a savior. If you remember chapter 1 verse 2, it speaks about how God has a plan from the beginning of time, a plan to send a savior, a promised savior that would come to redeem his people. And here is God's provision. He brings this savior and this savior deciding to tabernacle around us. 
in deciding to dwell among us in human flesh, in deciding to appear in human form in order to come and save us, in order to, to come and give us the privilege of coming into a right relationship with God. So this is the gospel that grace has appeared, grace that saves, grace in the person of Jesus. And you see, you and I need to get this. You and I need to get this grace that saves. And you see, when you and I get this grace that saves, what happens to us is it liberates us. It liberates us to passionately live out changed and, and transformed lives for the sake of Christ. See, that's what happens when you and I come to the realization of this grace that saves. Listen to C.S. Lewis once again. He says this, The Christian does not think God will love us because we are good, but that God will make us good because he loves us. See, you and I think we need to change. We need to grow. We need to be good in order to be loved, in order to be saved. But you see, friends, what we see in grace appearing is that we are loved and we receive grace so that we can change and grow and be good. See, the grace that saves shows us that the only way that we could be right with God was God deciding to give up his own son in order that we would be saved. And the way he gives up his own son is his son appearing in human form in order to save us. See, friends, grace has appeared. And grace has appeared to save us. And this is what Paul wants them to see, that this grace has appeared to bring salvation to all men. Like I said a bit earlier, when we have understood the grace that saves, this grace that saves will then compel us to live lives that are transformed, to live lives that are changed. And so let's move on to our second point. The first point is grace saves us. The second point is this, grace trains us. Now let's read verse 12 all the way up to verse 14 and see what Paul says there about grace that saves us. Paul says this, training us. Now let me attach it to verse 11 again. For the grace of God has appeared training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled and upright lives, self-controlled and upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous to do good works. Remember, I've just said what Paul wants us to see, there is grace that saves us. But before we get there, let, let me just pause here for a moment and ask you this. Can, can you and I admit tonight, can we be honest, that trying to live a changed life is actually hard? That trying to move forward from a, a particular struggle that we have in our lives can seem to be quite impossible. 
So you can feel like you're spinning on your wheels. Like a car that's stuck on mud. I don't know if you've had that experience. You try and put your foot on the A. And all you're doing is just digging yourself deeper. Have you ever been there? Has anyone been there? You're putting in the effort, but you're not making much progress in areas in your life where you'd like to see, you'd like to see change. And so you feel like you're stuck. Now let me tell you what happens when this happens to someone. The one of two reactions that usually happen to the person. One, they fake it. See, in front of, in front of people, they put up a face. Like everything is okay with them. They act like, I got this. While deep down inside, there's a pot of rage, of anger, of jealousy, of pride, of slander, of jealousy, of gossip that is waiting to boil over. That's one reaction. The other, we either give in to the sin. We, we think to ourselves, what does it matter? It feels like I'm not making much progress. So let me just give in. And our giving in will often look, in, 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 will look like us deciding, actually, I'll give up reading God's word. I'll, I'll give up meeting with God's people. Because I don't want to be a, a hypocrite. I don't want to put up a face. I don't want to act like everything is okay. And so we decide, let me just give in. Now, can I say something to you tonight that will sound a little bit controversial? Stop trying. Stop trying, now listen to this, in your own strength to live a transformed and changed life. It is not possible in your own power and your own strength. You can't. You can't do it in your own strength. And more often than not, the reason that you and I feel stuck is because we have made things about our own effort. It's about us putting our own effort in. So what we see tonight is that you and I need divine grace to consistently live a changed life. And that's what Paul wants these Christians to see. That actually, the grace that saves us is the same grace that trains us to be able to live in the way that God would want us to. See, the very same grace that saves us is the same grace that trains us. It trains us to be able to turn away from what is ungodly, to turn towards God. It trains us to turn away from what is negative, to turn towards, towards, towards what is positive. It trains us and enables us to say no to sin, to say no to ungodliness, and to say yes to God. To say no to sin, and to say yes to God. This grace that changes lives, it is salvific. And transforming. Now you may ask, how does this grace that trains us, how, how does this grace train us in order to be able to say no to sin and be able to say yes to God? How, how does that come about? Well, the way that that comes about is through the preaching of God's word. Now you may wonder, where do I get this in this whole passage? Well, let me bring you back to that phrase that Paul uses again. For the grace of God has appeared. Now, a bit earlier, I said this phrase talks about the first coming of Jesus. Jesus coming to tabernacle around us in order to save us. And that's true. But there's more that this phrase says. And and here's the other thing that this phrase says. This phrase says this. See, God's plan to save and transform people through Jesus is revealed as the gospel about Jesus is preached. See, as the gospel about Jesus is preached, the gospel of God's grace is preached. 
people then begin to understand how God trains us in order to be able to live in a way that pleases him. See, Paul's emphasis, when you read all throughout this letter, you will see that his emphasis over and again is on preaching and teaching. Now, let me show you this, his emphasis on preaching and teaching. Let's go to chapter 1, and let's read verse 2 together. Look at what it says in in chapter 1, verse 2. He says this, In the hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have have been entrusted by the command of God. You see that? At the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching. See, the way you and I begin to be able to say no to sin and yes to God is by sitting under the preaching of the gospel. Sitting under the preaching of the gospel either as we are tonight or in a life group or at style or in your own personal devotion. That's how God trains us to be able to say no to sin. When you and I spend time in his word, his word that reminds us of his grace that trains and his grace that saves and his grace that that also trains us. So you can't miss this emphasis that Paul puts on the preaching of the gospel. Chapter 2, let me take you just to a few things that he points out. This is what he says in chapter 2, verse 1. But as for you, Titus, unlike the false teachers, teach what accords with sound doctrine. So teach the gospel. And this is what he says of the older woman. The older woman, likewise, a bit later he says, they are to teach what is good. That's verse 3b. He says of the older woman, they are to teach what is good. Look at verse 6, where he then speaks to Titus, uh, speaks to the younger men. He says, likewise, urge the younger men. And the way that the younger men are urged is through the teaching or the preaching of the gospel. We can't miss what Paul is saying here about how the teaching of the gospel, the preaching of the gospel is what trains us to be able to say no to ungodliness and to be able to say yes to God. You and I need to think more and more about whether we are investing time in the gospel. Whether we are investing time hearing the gospel, either being preached to us or us preaching the gospel to ourselves. Are we doing this? How are we expecting to live transformed lives if we are not doing this? See, sometimes I hear Christians who are well-meaning and perhaps a little bit confused Saying, saying such stuff like this. I've heard them saying, I've heard the gospel and I've believed it. I heard the gospel at one point and I've believed it. Is there something I could move on to now? Is there something like the 10 steps on how to be able to fight sin that I can move on to? As though you and I would graduate or could graduate from the gospel. Conrad Mbewe, who's part of the Gospel Coalition Africa, part of the video that you saw earlier, was part of that Gospel Coalition Africa group, says this. He says, you and I could never outgrow, and you and I can never graduate from the gospel. Can never graduate from the gospel. You and I will never get to a point where we think we need something more than Jesus. Something more than the gospel. We can never get to a point where things are like that. Rather, you and I will always be in need for more of Jesus and more of the gospel. You and I can never outgrow 
or graduates from the gospel. This same gospel, this same grace that saves us is the grace that trains us to be able to live for God. Listen to the words of John Piper. He says this, You never grow your need for the gospel. You never graduate to a course where the gospel should not be the center of that curriculum. There's no postgraduate school in the Christian life. There's no post-gospel, I mean, graduate school in the Christian life. See, the center of every ongoing growth, the center of a changed life, the center of a transformed life is the knowledge of Christ who has appeared, who was crucified, who was buried, and who rose from death. We can never outgrow the gospel. Dear friends, you want to be able to live a life that is transformed? Turn to the gospel. Turn to the gospel. Sit down under the preaching of the gospel. Preach the gospel to yourself. Now, if you were here last week, you would realize that there were three groups that in the passage from last week that were mentioned. And these three groups are the men and women and employees. Now, this passage falls straight after that. And so it is appropriate for for us to then apply this passage to these three groups of people, which I think are in our room tonight as well. See, if you were able to listen to last week's sermon, if you weren't able to, I'd encourage you to go and download either David's sermon or Martin's sermon. They'll be of great encouragement to you. This is what Martin pointed out in in the sermon in the morning. This is what he said. He said, men and women sin differently. And that is true. I mean, there may be some overlapping sin in our lives, but we sin differently. And the three things that were mentioned last week in how men often sin is with power, pennies, and panties. Those are the three areas where men often struggle. And you see, all of these things in themselves are not bad. Power is not bad in itself. There's nothing wrong with money. And there's nothing wrong with sex. But very often as men, we can use these three areas in a manner that is very ungodly, in a manner that does not show that actually we are living transformed lives, that we're living changed lives, even as Christians. So as we think about this passage tonight, as we think about how grace saves us and how this grace can train us to live in a manner that pleases God, let's think about these three areas. Power. So with power, men often they will use their power to violate women and children. Men will use power in order to make others feel smaller, to belittle them. It could be in the home or it could be at work. Perhaps someone has done this to you, or perhaps you have done this to someone else. If you heard Eleanor a bit earlier, she said, the problem with South Africa is that we have too many homes where there are fatherless, too many fatherless homes. And and that fatherless homes is not only speaking in the sense of the man is is not present physically, but the man could be present physically, but is not using or is not leading his family in the way that he should. He might be using his power in a manner that does not please God. That in itself could be considered a fatherless home. You see, what Paul encourages us to do here is that we would turn away from wanting to use power 
to belittle others as men, to make others feel small, to, to violate them. Rather, this is what it calls us to. Grace transforms us to be able as fathers to lead our families. Now, you might not be a father here tonight. You might be thinking about it. But even if you're not a father and you're a young man, you yourself can use this authority to lead others. See, what you see in the passage last week, you see this interrelation between the older men and the younger men. See, the older men are meant to lead the younger men. And so perhaps tonight you might not feel like you're an older man, but there are people who are a lot younger than you, perhaps younger in the faith, and not just younger in years. How can you use the authority or the power that you have now in order to, to lead them to God? How can you use where God has given the power God has given you in a manner that pleases him? Fathers, today's Father's Day. How can we lead our families in a manner that pleases God? In a manner that brings them glory? To show that our authority, we're using it in a manner that shows that grace has indeed transformed us. And today is also Youth Day. See, if we want to see a youth that is anything like the youth of 1976, a youth that is passionate about justice, righteousness, and good morality, a youth that is passionate about God, then we as the young, as the men here, need to find men to invest in. And this is true of the woman as well. That's the first thing as a man. How can you use your power in a manner that pleases God? How can you use your money in a manner that pleases God? This is... This is where I think we could do it. Instead of us thirsting for money and trying to chase money and, and very often pulling us away from spending time with our families, or rather pulling us away even from spending time with other Christians, what you and I could do is begin to understand how the gospel can give us a healthy view of money. So there's nothing wrong with ambition. There's nothing wrong with wanting to work to the top of your company. But if this is to your spiritual detriment, or if this affects your family, it is not worth it. And when you have gotten the money, how can you use the money to further the kingdom of God? I think that last area of sex is one that a lot of us as men need to think about. How can we as men, the, the discouraging thing that you see in our country is the statistics of women that are raped. It is saddening. Now, whether people would say the sex was consensual, or it is saddening to see how men, even in this area, use both power and violate others. How can we use this area of sex as men to please God? How can we turn away from fornication? How can we turn away from having sex outside of our marriage as married men? How can we turn away from pornography and homosexuality? Paul points out to us, that the grace that saves us can train us to be able to turn away from these things and live a transformed lives. Now let me turn to the women quickly. Last week it was pointed out to us that the way the women sin, as Paul says in the passage, is that the older women slander others. They, they defame others. They speak badly of others. In our Bible study we were talking about this, how people do it so tactfully. People can... They do this so tactfully. They'll walk up to you and say, so-and-so looks like their marriage is in a, 
He's not in a good place. Oh, actually, I haven't seen so-and-so at church in a while. I think we should pray for them. No, no, we think, no, we think that is a good thing to say. And we're not realizing that you're slandering someone. You're defaming someone. You see, woman, actually one of the ladies at Style said this. She said, although at times I might not be tempted to defame or speak or slander others or gossip or... She said, what I'm often tempted to do is, is want the juicy news. I might not want to be the one that's dishing it out, but, but I would like to hear. And she said when she heard the passage last week, the, the one thing that struck her is that she, would, she needed to start thinking about how this grace of God that saves us enables us to be able to turn away from that kind of sin. To then use our words to build up other women. Look at what Paul says in the passage. He calls the older woman to lead the younger woman. Older woman, how can you do that in the church today? Again, I think this application should not just apply in terms of age, but Christian maturity as well. There are some of you here who are mature in the Christian faith. Is there a person whom you are leading? Are you leading younger women? Younger believers. In a Bible study at style, we often turn at the end of the Bible study and say, who's your Titus? And we're serious about that. Who's your Titus? Who are you leading? Who are you leading? See, the gospel, she teaches us or trains us to be able to live in the way that God wants us to. So that even in our workplace as employees, we can decide to live in a manner that pleases God. Martin pointed out last week that the way we often don't live as employees in a manner that pleases God is we steal from our bosses, which is what that passage says. Now, you might think I've not stolen anything from my boss, but you might be stealing time. You might be using resources, spending so much time on the phone, or you might, for one, although you're not stealing time from, from your boss, you might not be living out as a Christian in your workplace. And you see, this passage tonight calls us It calls us to see that grace has saved us and trains us to be able to live differently even as employees in our workplace. You don't have to be the the one that lives the last the whole time. But how can you show that you're a Christian? So it should be that everyone in your company, after a while, knows that there's something about this guy that makes him different. That this guy is a Christian. See, the grace that trains us is the same grace. This grace that saves us is the same grace that trains us to say no to sin and to say yes to God. And so if you tonight are stuck, you feel like you're spinning on your wheels, you feel like you're stuck on mud, listen to this. The grace that saves can train you to live a transformed life. You can have change in your life today. You can move forward from that struggle. There's a musician called Jonathan McReynolds. He's got a song called Cycles. And in this song, he talks about how you and I as Christians can be stuck in a cycle or a loop of sin. And he says, the way we get out of that is through the gospel. See, the gospel or the name of Jesus is able to break every cycle. It's able to enable us to live lives that are changed.
Let's move on to our last point, which is grace helps us to wait. Now we, want, we will spend very little time on this point. Let's read verse 13 together. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of our God, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own position, who are zealous for good works. Can I say Paul wants us to see in this point the grace that helps us to wait. See, sometimes you and I as Christians could be spending time in the gospel. We could be sitting under the preaching of the gospel, either in our personal devotion or in a meeting like this. Or we might be part of a life group, part of an accountability group. Our prayer life with God might be in a good place. We might be walking right with the Lord. He might want transformation. And you might feel like you're making progress in your life in one area. But I think what, what often happens that discourages us is when we've made progress in one area. It just feels like there's, a, there's another sin that just pops up. I don't know if I'm the only one who's like that. Am, am I the only one? It just feels like there's another sin that just pops up. And that, that, that can often be discouraging to you. Like It feels like you're not making progress. So this point here, what Paul wants us to see, is that if God has started working in you, and you have come to embrace the grace that saves, and there's been progress in your life, the progress will not all be overnight. The progress will be gradual. The Bible points out to us over and again that sanctification, which is the process where God makes us more like Jesus, is a process that takes time. It takes time. And so, and when you, so when you're feeling discouraged and you're feeling like you, have, you actually haven't moved much from where you were, listen to what Paul says in those verses. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior. Now Paul uses that word appearing in a different sense here. He's not talking about the first coming of Jesus, but he's talking about the second coming of Jesus. And this is what he says about the second coming of Jesus. You and I have a blessed hope, and this is the blessed hope, that when Jesus comes back again, you and I will share in his glory. See, over and again, in all the epistles, Paul makes this clear that when Jesus appears in his glory, you and I will share in his glory. And this is what he means. Though you and I may not be completely transformed on this side of heaven, When Jesus appears, you and I will be completely transformed. And that's our blessed hope. Listen to 1 John chapter 3. This is what 1 John chapter 3 says. It says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so are we. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. And so if you're feeling discouraged about your progress in your Christian walk, hear this. You and I have a blessed hope. And this is the blessed hope. That when Jesus appears, you and I will be transformed completely to be like him. 
So one of the things that you and I might need to hear today is this. You and I might not be where we want to be, but we are probably not where we used to be. And I think that is true of anyone who has embraced this grace that saves and grace that trains. This grace helps us to wait for ultimate transformation, but to live now knowing that I may not be where I I want to be, but thank God I'm not where I used to be because His grace has transformed me. And let me close with just a little story about me and some of my friends. A while ago, I hung out with some of my friends from, from high school. And one of the things they said when they saw me was, man, you look different than you were three years ago. Now, now they don't know some of the struggles in my own life. But they can definitely see progress. And perhaps you see progress in your own life as well. And you see, as I close, I want you to, to be encouraged by that. That tonight, you are perhaps not where you were three years ago because God's grace has transformed you. And if it hasn't, would you consider to turn to this Jesus who gives us, who offers us the grace that saves and the grace that trains us to live for him. But I pray that indeed tonight we would embrace this grace and that in embracing this grace we would realize that this grace also trains us to live for you. And that the gospel trains us to live for you. And that all of us never get to a point where we graduate, where we outgrow our need for the gospel. Would you help us to see that tonight? Would you help us in this coming week to live transformed lives in every area of our life? And Lord, would you encourage us that although we may not be where we would want to be, by your grace, we are not where we used to be. Pray for anyone tonight, Lord, who has not yet turned to you and embraced your grace that saves, that you'd open their eyes to the gospel. And this we do pray for Christ's sake. Amen.